You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm Carlos Noche and I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Lisa Schneer. Say hi, Lisa. Hi, folks. Welcome to the show. All right, folks. Today, we're going to be talking about creating go-to-market engine, providing concrete steps and improving alignment across the go-to-market team. And to help us out with this topic today, we have Tom George, who is the principal consultant and founder of GOMO Consulting and a go-to-market expert who's got decades of experience enabling teams with their go-to-market strategies. GOMO Consulting is focused on helping companies align and execute on successful go-to-market campaigns and strategies. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. um, We like to start with finding a way to get our audience to know you a little bit better. And the way we do that is, what's something that you're passionate about that those that only know you through work might be surprised to know about you? Uh, Interesting question. Yeah. So I live in the Bay Area of California. I like to be active and outdoors. And what I realized, I have an affinity to water. I like to sail. I've surfed. I like to ski. I've rafted many of the rivers on the West Coast. I've got a pool two blocks away that I swim at regularly. So I like to stay active, and a lot of it has to do with water. And I'm a Pisces. So. It all ties together. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that makes sense. Actually, being on the East Coast of Canada myself, Tom, it's if I'm not on the water or in the water, then I'm near the water. So, yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your backstory, because you've consulted. You've also done the corporate thing off and on. So what led you to GOMO Consulting and where you are today? It is an interesting sort of arc to my career because I started in marketing strategy and more recently I've focused on sales execution, particularly in sales enablement, which of course is where I met you, Lisa. So earlier in my career, I was a product manager, product marketer for enterprise software and SaaS companies, did a couple startups that were acquired. And at the second one of those, I was running marketing and it was my first experience managing demand creation and managing outbound selling which was quite a learning curve, (laughs) getting on the phone and managing a team and managing a number. And that got me on this path of kind of go-to-market and sales operations. I shifted my career at that point and started doing consulting. And I ended up doing some very large projects for very large companies, typically year-long projects. I did three projects in three years at Microsoft. I was the sales enablement metrics lead for Cisco for a year and a half. At VMware, I rolled out a partner enablement program for their first cloud services offering. So Avaya, PayPal, a few others, that was kind of that part of my career. And then in 2016 or so, I saw enablement arise. And for me, it was solving a real need of the gulf that exists between marketing and sales. I call sales enablement the yang to the product marketing yin. There's a lot of pressure, I think, from some salespeople on product marketing to do more for sales, but it's through enablement that that happens. And so I focused on that, learned how to do that, onboarding. Uh, I worked for two companies leading sales enablement, and that really rounded it out. The two companies I worked for were SaaS companies. And so not uncommonly in 2022, the universe told me, hey, you shouldn't be in a SaaS company. You should really be starting your own consulting company. And so... I started GOMO and the focus is, you know, creating a go-to-market engine. It's more than just bridging the gulf. 
It's about getting the pieces of go-to-market, the different teams working together in sync and really cranking to improve performance in market. Well, we can all use lots of help with that, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I love what you said about the bridge between marketing and sales. There's so much there that's like, you mentioned the outbound and sales stuff, and which I'm very passionate about, as our listeners know, and always did feel like we were running the quarterback between those two teams. It's like, okay, does that SDR team report into marketing or sales or both? And making sure that we're all communicating so it doesn't sound like we're selling two different things. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I'll emphasize that it's not a bridge between the two things. It's really getting product marketing, content marketing, growth marketing, sales ops, sales enablement, sales management, the SE or or SE team, you know, all working together. It's too simplistic to say it's the misalignment between marketing and sales. It's about getting all the teams really working together. I like that. In fact, you sometimes talk about these cross-functional groups. How do you get them to collaborate? synchronize, be on the same language, if you will, versus I do this and then I dump it to you and then you do something, you dump it to the next group. So on the topic of the day, what might be some of the common challenges that teams that are trying to improve this cross-functional communication run into? First, we must understand the problem, right? A good starting point. And I've given this a lot of thought and I've come up with three reasons why this challenge persists. And we say misalignment between marketing and sales. Another way of saying that is silos that exist in all these functions. And that's not just a go-to-market issue. That's an issue really across the whole company. And what I've realized is that there's three reasons why silos persist. The first is that we as individuals, we focus on what we can control and we work on functional teams. And so that's what we can control. As a content marketer and go-to-market, for example, I can control or impact usage of contents. I don't have a lot of impact on win rates or on market share or revenue, right? So as individuals, we focus on what we can control. The other side of the coin to this is the second reason, which is that I think we're getting better at creating go-to-market metrics that are meaningful and have a set of metrics that are meaningful. But The challenge and what we try to do is to really illuminate the path of how do you connect the functional performance with market performance. So using, for example, the content marketer, it's not about usage of content. It's about usage of content at particular points in the sales process. And for each asset, is it successful in moving the buyer to the next stage in their decision process? And if you're doing that and looking at those metrics, conversion rate face-to-phase, and what does the role of content play at each point, and you're improving conversion rate at each stage, well, that adds up definitely to a big impact on win rate. So you can illuminate the path there. But to me, I see a lot of companies struggle with that. And then the third area, and this is probably the biggest and most endemic, is that I believe management planning and review actually engenders an orientation to silos. And it's true at a company level and it's true at a go-to-market level. So at a company level, strategic annual planning, the exec team comes up with the strategic pillars, but it gets pushed down to the functional leads to come up with the strategic initiatives to support those strategic initiatives or the pillars. And the planning is really kind of focused within the functional areas and not a lot of accounting of dependencies across teams. Sometimes there's kind of a nod, oh yeah, I talked to the other teams, but It doesn't get down to, I need these resources at this point in the year for this number of hours. And that's what needs to happen. So that's true at the kind of company level. For go-to-market, 
Same thing. What are the management reviews processes that exist? There's the quarterly business review. That's a sales oriented, sales numbers, sales ops kind of orientation. Very appropriate to have that and super locked down, but it's focused on the numbers, right? If there's all the other stuff of go to market and how is that managed? And what I see is that this is where the gulf does exist. Marketing's got their set of stuff. Sales has got their set of stuff and they're managed in their own respective review processes. So in marketing, you've got lead generation. There's a review process for that. And then another review process typically for all the other stuff that's happening. Same in sales, sales ops and enablement. These other teams, they've got their projects. They manage that within a sales management uh, review process. And then another big issue with this is that there's all these other teams who have projects that impact sales too, right? It's not just marketing and sales who's coming, sales management who's coming up with projects that impact sales. There's finance has got stuff, right? Technical support is introducing a new tier. Like how do you get, you know, so there's projects coming from all over the place. And if you look at it from the sales perspective, they often feel like they're, how many times have you heard? I feel like I'm on an island. I'm out here by myself. Another metaphor, point of the spear, and I don't have all the corporate wood behind the point of the spear because I get projects coming at me from all over the place. They're not coordinated. They're not delivered holistically. That thing about the dependencies I mentioned earlier, they're poorly timed. How many times have you, product management comes, hey, product's going to be ready in October. Let's do a launch in November. It's like, no, you know, wrong, wrong. So this planning and review, I think, is a key issue, but it's also the opportunity. And Carlos, I think you mentioned earlier about having a cross-functional management review process and team. That's core to the model that I've got for how to create a go-to-market engine. Excellent. There was a lot jammed in there, but I think you get the idea. It's at multi-levels, right, that the issue exists. Yeah, I wrote some of them, a couple of things down that I kind of wanted to go back to. So like timing, it's so interesting to me. Sometimes we got, hey, we got a new product coming out. We got to educate sales. Heck, we're going to have a certification program and we're doing it last two weeks of the quarter. Aren't you excited? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Do you have any sense of what their job is? Yeah, there's a sales rhythm to business. And that rhythm to business is dictated by buyer seasonality. And unfortunately, a lot of companies or a lot of departments within companies just aren't aware of it. It's not a bad thing, but they need to be made aware of it. And you do not want to do a rollout of a new program in the last month of a quarter, to your point, Carlos. Yeah. And then I was thinking about just kind of overcoming some of these challenges because I think we can have a podcast just talking about challenges. Could be like therapy. Exactly. One side of it is you mentioned business metrics. I'm a big believer in business metrics. You got to measure what matters. I think then people, like you just said, then they think about, okay, if the ultimate goal is a billion dollars, for example, hey, my job within marketing is because I'm the lead engine is to generate leads. And as long as I generate leads, I did my job. Whether they convert it or not is really sales's fault. (laughs) And if they got it right, it's obviously because I gave them better leads. And again, I'm being biased on that example, but you can come up with them all over the place. I do believe in having a common goals because clients seemingly do a good job of this. Hey, we're all in this to get to here. And we do realize that just doing our little pieces is not enough, right? So how do you get that better communication on what each individual team needs for the whole to be successful, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. 
So you touched on a few things there. One is the communication across the teams and the other is the metrics. And those are two parts of the blueprint that I've got for improving go-to-market performance. So I'll start with the first one, which I've alluded to, which is you do want to create, you actually brought it up, you want to create a cross-functional team of decision makers. And I call this a PMO, a project management office or a program management office. They've got responsibility for capturing all the work that's proposed for prioritizing it. So you select the set that's going to be optimal and then you schedule it according to the sales rhythm of business that I mentioned. And then that team provides oversight and then you measure the performance. And this team of the PMO team, they have to be the decision. It's the opportunity for the execs to push decision-making down to a management layer. So you want directors or managers representing the different functions, go-to-market functions I mentioned earlier. And they have the decision-making authority for what projects are we going to do? What is the right set? What is the timing? What are we going to say no to, (laughs) right? But it's also the forum, the team that is trading the horses and compromising and coming up with what is the best set. This team should meet at least monthly and in the monthly meeting presents to the execs. Here's the status. Here are the issues that we need to get some executive oversight on. And then shifting over to here's the performance that we're seeing in the market. And this is where you get to the scorecard. And for me, the idea is too often we sort of try to say, what's the metric? And for me, it's actually you want to have a scorecard that tells a whole story about performance in a segment. So you want to have a balanced scorecard, a term from 30 years ago that applied to managing a company. For me, I'm using the same idea for go to market. And you want the market metrics like market share and MPS and net retained revenue, that sort of thing. You want lead generation metrics. So where are the leads coming from? You want pipeline metrics. Okay, we generated those leads. What's happened to them? And then probably the most important for me as an enabler anyway, is you want sales performance metrics, things like quota attainment, or to me, a really important one is conversion rate phase to phase. By telling that whole story and you've got the management team representing, yeah, they represent their function, but what they are really coming together to do is to improve performance in market. And so using that comprehensive story defined in a scorecard, that's how you keep the eye on the prize and keep cross the functions. You still need to do your functional stuff, right? You got to want to create excellence in each function, but you want to be oriented to how things are going in market. Excellent. Um, So what one group... Maybe I'm going off topic. So we talked about kind of the marketing lead gen top of funnel. We've talked about sales and even mentioned there's multiple teams. There's this other group, especially in a SaaS model called customer success or services on the other side that are trying to deliver this. And uh, one of my clients even said it best. They said, hey, getting the initial win is 20% of the battle. In fact, I looked at some research that we're not even pulling a profit in until that second or third year in some of these projects, right? So I think I know the answer to this. Are they part of this overall team that's keeping this thing on track? Yeah, short answer is absolutely. I will say the 20% of the battle, but it's the first 20%, right? Winning the customer is finding them and winning them is really hard. Maybe it's 80-20 rule. Yeah. Or 20-80 rule. Yeah, yeah, probably. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of... But yeah, to your point, especially a lot of companies adopt the blend and expand model. Even if you don't, retaining customers, especially in these economic times, is absolutely critical. 
But uh, just as by way of example, that discussion about content marketing earlier, there's an ongoing decision process of, well, first of all, do we want to renew? Well, what are we doing? What's content marketing doing or, and everybody else to provide the information they need to facilitate that decision in, with a positive outcome? And then, of course, it, it's an even bigger challenge when you want to upsell or cross-sell. So absolutely, the short answer is CS should be involved in these things. You could say there's just kind of a similar alignment issue there because it is sort of, okay, we got this thing across the finish line as a closed one deal. I'm going to pitch it over <laughs> and hopefully it'll all be goodness after that with CS. I think same thing, There's just the functional orientation. And I might even be accused of this, but on the follow through and creating predictable revenue and retaining and making customers happy, that's all part of this equation. There's so many moving parts to this, Tom. So when, I mean, obviously, apart from hiring you to help, <laughs> what are maybe a few things that companies can do to get started down this path without it being this big project? I know that, you know, there's the way to do it right and the way to get started. But what we like to give the listeners is like, what are some actionable things that they could go to work tomorrow after hearing this and try to do to help get down this path? I'll start with one thing that's maybe a little abstract and then get to it some really concrete suggestions about how to get started. And I'm going back to my four-part blueprint. The first thing is you do have to have the strategy defined and it needs to be a reasonably well thought out strategy. If you think about go to market and when you start to really invest in go to market from the timing of a startup, you know, in series A companies, you focus on product market fit. Series B, it's really, do I have the go to market strategy? pretty well thought out and proven. And then series C is, okay, I'm going to really invest in improving the efficacy of the sales team and in scaling. So that happens in C and beyond. It's that series B step you do need to be thinking about, well, what is our strategy? You need to capture that in a really good go-to-market or segment strategy, as I like to call it. And I talk about segments because as your company grows, when you first start out, you're typically selling one product line to one market even if it's cross-market and different sizes of companies, the sales motion is kind of all the same. As you grow, you might start to bifurcate between selling to enterprise and selling to commercial. And at that point, it might make sense to have two PMOs and two segment strategies. And then as you get bigger and you start really specializing in different segments like healthcare versus financial services, that sort of thing, certainly as you get to new geos, you have to have multiple teams, multiple PMOs for the different segments that you operate in. So that's one thing. But the more concrete things is if you're going to approach this PMO idea, first thing to do is just get the catalog of projects. What are all the projects? Get the catalog of all the proposed projects. Implement a way of estimating the cost and benefit for proposed projects that you can then use for prioritization. And then in your catalog of projects that are in flight, red, yellow, green, very simple, but you also want to have a calendar view of that back to the rhythm of business. Like, when are we doing these different things? Oh, we want to do this in February. Well, there's three other things happening. We can't do it that month. So do we move one? That's the kind of conversation. So it's pretty simple tactical tools. Of But the whole idea is, how do you get the holistic view? It's not like any sophisticated list, <laughs> right? It is a list, maybe some red, yellow, red, yellow green on status of things. You want a calendar view of what, what it looks like, and then you've got the control mechanisms. Then you create the forum 
to make decisions around it. That makes sense. And so having gone through that process many, many times, have you ever had a success story where someone did it really well that you point to when you talk about like, okay, we did this and we followed the blueprint and it went really well? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I should say, I mentioned that I worked for some enterprise software and startups earlier in my career. At the second one of those, it was a company called Inotas that was bought by PlanView. They had a product for managing projects. It was a project portfolio management tool. So I like got really deep into how to manage a project and make a project portfolio successful. That allowed me to win some consulting gigs in the next phase of my career around setting up PMOs. And I did this at PayPal, for example. Another one I did was at Microsoft. This was the third project that I did there. I'd worked for other business groups and kind of earned my way up to work for the enterprise products group to help set up a PMO for sales operations. This was in the EPG group had 36,000 salespeople. They did 28 billion in revenue the year that I was there. Sales ops alone had 2,700 people in it globally. They absolutely had the ratcheted down quarterly business review process totally nailed, but they wanted better control and visibility on all these go-to-market projects. This was in 2010, and they were doing a big pivot. The makers of the digital operating system were moving to Azure. One example of the projects that they were doing, they had 35 roles defined in their sales teams, and they were introducing two new roles specific to Azure. So it was a big enablement. It wasn't called enablement at the time, but they were big enablement projects. So what I did is exactly what I just told you about. I came in, I worked with my senior director to come up with some templates, a template on a project status report, pretty basic. One PowerPoint slide, it was in PowerPoint, of course. The listing of projects, the schedule of projects, the set of proposed projects, a framework for prioritizing or evaluating and prioritizing. And then I facilitated four meetings where the execs came in. These were 30 to 40 people in these meetings, pretty senior people. The functional leads and project managers presented the status of what was going on. And it was a two-hour meeting. And the last half hour was just kind of conversation around what are the big issues and the horse trading and all that sort of stuff. The beauty of it and the lesson of it was didn't need super sophisticated tools, right, to provide this information. And probably most importantly, and this was not about me doing something, although facilitating the meetings was great, hard thing to do, (laughs) but it was really fun and cool. But they were willing to work together. The execs were willing to like see, oh, right, we can't do all this work. So something has to give. And we really want to optimize sales time. And so that group in EPG, they're doing 200 billion. That is what they did last year. So Microsoft is incredible. I learned so much. I learned about the scorecards there. I learned how go-to-market really works. And they're really, really good at it. I'd say Cisco, the project they did at VMware, really good companies doing go-to-market really, really well. So Tom, and I know we're getting close to the end here. So I got one more question for you. So A lot of our clients all come to us, hey, Carlos, we're looking for a common framework, a common approach to drive consistency and scale. And one of the challenges in these organizations is getting them to think that, hey, this common language you're talking about needs to be cross-functional. We need marketing and customer success and our pre-sales engineers. You know, heck, even if you think about even product 
management and what we're creating. You know, it'd be great to know what's selling. What are the, because you said it earlier, at the end of the day, the timing is kind of affected by the customer, the buyers and their own journeys and where they're at. And we might have a hypothesis of what we think is selling and happening, but that's very internally focused. And I guess my question being at the end of the day, since we've talked a lot about communication, hey, how do we get organizations to take their common sales approach and make it something that marketing and everyone else can also join in on so that we're all looking for the same data? Hey, who are our customers? Why are they buying? What differentiates us? How do they justify these purchases? Who are all the teams that get get involved, maybe based on vertical or size? And how do we get them to that success that they ultimately wanted in the first place, or else we're never going to get a renewal, much less an expansion opportunity? So often the issue that I see is like you put a construct in place or a framework or something and people go around it, (laughs) right? So this thing that I've got, this four-part blueprint for going to market, it is, you kind of have to go into it, all into it. And very importantly, I mentioned, this is an opportunity for execs to push down decision-making to the director level, right? Well, what you don't want then is somebody saying, well, I want my project happening and I'm going to go to the VP and run or other ways that teams don't buy into the process. So it's there is a, a requirement that the execs really put their support behind this, that they show up to these monthly reviews because that's their role. Their role is to provide oversight. It's to look at the performance in the scorecard with the you know this comprehensive view and say, hey, this is all great. You're doing all this work in this one area, but I'm seeing a big red flag over here in this other area. But do that in the context of these processes and frameworks that you've established. I guess another way of putting it is I've seen a lot where there is a cross-functional team, but they don't have the scorecard. They don't have the prioritization process nailed down. You know, it does take kind of a robustness to what you're doing in a comprehensive approach and then everybody buying in. But I tell you, when it works, it works really, really well. People just you know, it shifts from being a fight all the time to being, oh, we're coming together and we can see it. Like we're measuring what's happening and the performance. So it's great when it works. All right. Well, that all sounds wonderful for when it all comes together and works and everybody's happy and communicating and collaborating the way they should be. And yeah, exactly. So Tom, we ask a couple of questions as we wrap up every show. And the first one is that as a revenue executive yourself, many times in your career, you are a target for prospectors. And when you have someone reaching out to you that does not have that warm introduction that is coming to you cold, what is something that would actually capture your attention and maybe even inspire you to respond? Great question. And you're right. I get a lot of calls and I'm willing to respond, but I want to see that there's a point of view. The topic of personalization is a hot topic, especially amongst the SDRs, but I don't really care and I don't respond to people who come to me and say, hey, I saw you went to Cal and go Bears and... <laughs> I want somebody who's got a point of view about how I can do my job better. Yeah. Or they're asking a a question that's informed about the industry I'm in or the function I'm trying to serve. So that's what I really look for is somebody who's really given some thought to my role and not who I am. I don't need a best friend, right? (laughs) (laughs) I want to do my job better. So that's what I focus on. Excellent. Or respond to it. Yeah. I don't know if it's just been lately, but I feel like I've been being bombarded with emails these days. And they're yeah. 99.9% of them are just 
horrendous. In fact, Lisa, I've been putting them all in our bad prospecting email examples. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a hard job because typically you're dealing with young people who don't have formed points of view. And so part of the enablement challenge is how do you get them to have an informed point of view? It doesn't take that long. It doesn't need to be a huge chunk of information, like I've done some analysis on whatever. But there's a point of view about a particular thing that's interesting to me. But it's just so hard for these. And I understand why it's happening. We've got these sequencing systems that allow everybody's got a machine gun and they're blasting thousand emails a day. For me, it's Lisa, I'm sure you know this, managing SDR teams. It's like, wait a minute, let's tail it back improve the quality of what we're producing as opposed to the quantity and we'll get quality responses. Yeah, I think I just had this conversation today with one of my new prospects. At best, they're training everybody on what they sell and how it's great. And then people are just throwing that up over everyone versus who they should talk to and why they should want to engage. And that's a big pivot shift. All right, big last question. We call it Acceleration Insights. What might be that one piece of advice in time you gave us multiple, but what might be that one piece of advice for our listeners you'd like to close out with that would help them with their own goals? Well, so I would say having a control mechanism on all the things that impact sales, all the projects, programs, campaigns, initiatives, have one view in one place that everybody can see. Don't have marketing, have their set, and sales has their set, and then there's a bunch of other stuff that falls out of the cracks. Just get control over what impacts sales time. And then related to that is treat sales time as a precious commodity. Don't schedule when you shouldn't schedule, but also don't overschedule with too many activities so they don't have enough time to sell. I guess that was probably two <laughs> things on the acceleration, but you get the idea. That's all right. They'll take all the advice they can get. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of these insights. If any of our listeners were interested in talking to you more about these topics, what's your preferred method of communication? Certainly, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Tom George at Gomo Consulting, easy to find. I think my handle is TGeorge. You can call, contact me via our website, which is gomo-consulting.com. So come on by. Love to talk. Awesome. As long as you have a point of view. As long as you have a point of view. <laughs> Make sure you mention the podcast and uh, <laughs> how much Tom wants yeah, to go exactly surfing right. and things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome, Tom. Well, thank you again for joining us today. It's been great having you on the show. Yeah, well, I've enjoyed it. And I love your podcast and really interesting stuff. So thank you. Thanks, Tom. Oh, thank you so much. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with your family, your friends, your coworkers, your kids. You can subscribe through YouTube, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please do us a favor and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Lisa Schneer and joined by my podcast partner in crime, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.